I've entitled my message this morning, God in a Box. So you may not like me after the message. I'll shoot off. There was a shop in the corner of Church Street. And they were selling God. So a man went to the shop. And um, he said, look, I'm having really difficulty. Life has been very tough. Um, my business is not doing well. My wife keeps nagging. My children are pain in the neck. It just Everything's just not going well. And somebody suggested at the street corner, and he said, look, go and get a little bit of God in your life. And so I've come here to get some God in my life. And the salesman perked up. He said, sir, you've come to the right place. That's what we do best. We sell a little bit of God. So what would you like? And he said, look, I don't want, uh, how much of God do you want? The salesman asked him. He said, look, I don't want too much of God. Um, I don't want that much of God where it's going to interrupt my business. You know? So he said, no problem, sir. We will keep God out of your business. Now, what else do you want? He said, look, I, will, I, I really don't want God interfering in the way um, family is going. You know, this, this thing about love your wife as Christ loved the church stuff, I, I, I really can't do that. He said, no problem, sir. We leave out Ephesians 5. In fact, let's leave out the entire book of Ephesians just in case. He said, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, what else, sir? Well, I was thinking, look, this sermon is about tithing and stuff. Can you leave that out? Oh, no problem, sir. We'll just tick that box out. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, anything else, sir? This Sunday thing? You know, my golf. It's, it's going to disrupt my golf. No worries, sir. You just come when you can. Uh, we'll tick that off there as well. Anything else, sir? Uh, I think, look, definitely nothing to do about quitting everything and going on missions to Africa. Oh, sir, we don't do that anymore. No, no. Don't worry about that, sir. All right. So... That's it. Yeah, that's it. Look, here you go, sir. A paper bag full of God. The guy grabbed hold of his paper bag, just beaming and saying, now I've got a paper bag full of God. You say, what a silly story, Andrew. It is. It's such a silly story. And yet, sometimes we live out that silly story. We choose which area of God that, that God can come into our lives. We choose what we want to read in scriptures and what we leave out in scriptures, right? And we choose to live this silly story, carrying a paper bag of God in our lives and putting God in a box. And I'm here to say this morning, time to change that. Religion is God in a neat package. Religion is God in a neat package. Look, I put this here. If the Bible is the complete revelation of God, then God has been described in 783,137 words. If that's it, if God has been contained in 783,000 words, then I'm telling you, that's not God. Because a God who can be described in 783,000 words isn't God. That's an idol. If we limit God to those words. Now don't get me wrong. I love the scriptures. I love the scriptures. But I think when we box God into what we interpret from the scriptures, we're creating an idol for ourselves. And this morning, I want to shatter that in our lives so that we can live 
a whole, full relationship with the Lord we love. So let me say this. If God can be completely defined, then we are no longer talking about God. If God can be completely defined, we are no longer talking about God. We are describing an idol. The Pharisees made that tragic mistake when Jesus was on earth, right? They felt they completely knew everything there was to know about God. They felt they knew exactly when the Messiah would come and what the Messiah would do and where the Messiah would go, right? So they had complete understanding, full revelation of the Messiah. He definitely wasn't going to come from Nazareth. He definitely won't be a vagabond. And he definitely won't hang out with the riffraff of society. And so the Messiah was standing right in front of them. And they had no clue who the Messiah was. John chapter 5 verse 18 says this. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath. But also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. How dare he? How dare he come out of scriptures and speak his own words? <coughs> and this is what Jesus responded to them. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. That's crazy, isn't it? That is so crazy. You think about it. The scriptures were the signposts pointing to Jesus. But they made the signpost their destination. Let me say this. Just based on this mindset that the Pharisees had. You can actually describe what religion looks like. Christianity becomes a religion when defending our ideas of God become more important than pursuing a relationship with Him. When we think defending our doctrines or defending our little turf about God is more important than actually having a relationship with Him. That's religion. Christianity becomes a religion when practices become prerequisites to accessing God. They said, He, he, doesn't, he doesn't follow the Sabbath. You know what he was doing on the Sabbath? He was healing the sick. You can't do that. He said, get out of here. Do that on Monday morning. Right? When you come here to the synagogue, none of this healing nonsense. Christianity becomes a religion when acts that cause harm to others are justified as acts of love towards God. They were willing to kill him. Can you imagine that? You are representing God on earth. You are teaching about God on earth. But someone there starts telling something else about God. And you have no problem killing that person in the name of God. That's religion. And sometimes our words kill. And we think we are preaching the gospel. That's religion. When we cause more harm to society instead of drawing them closer to God. 
Christianity becomes a religion when the word of God, now this is where you're probably going to stone me. Christianity becomes a religion when the word of God replaces the God of the word. I know. The word of God replacing the God of the word doesn't make sense. Well, that's what they did. And this is what Jesus said. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. In other words, you think these words, mere words, all right, give you eternal life. These words can't give you eternal life. The Bible cannot give you eternal life. The Bible points you to the person who is eternal life. And if you just pause and stop and make the Bible your destination without going to the person the Bible is pointing you to, you're missing the point. It's like me standing at that signpost there that says Wellington, right? And I stand there, take a selfie and say, I'm in Wellington. When I've got another few hundred kilometers to go to get to Wellington. How many people do that, man? They say, no, no, I just, I, I, I love the Bible. I study the Bible. I can recite the Bible. Yeah, but do, do you know where you are, where God is, and are you close to Him? That's the point of the Bible, to take you to God. Are we all right? Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to earth to set up a religion. The early church didn't sign up to become members of a group, of, relig of a religious group. Remember that when Christians were called the anointed ones? So what? Yeah. There was a time you were called anointed ones. You say when? Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. No, they weren't called anointed ones. They were called Christians. You know what that word is? It's the Greek word, Christianos, which comes from the Greek word, Christos, which is anointed one. So they were known as anointed ones. So either that word means anointed ones or belonging to the anointed one. But whatever it is, when people saw Christians, they equated this group of people to anointing. Now, let me tell you something about anointing. Anointing is messy. You know how these days we anoint, we touch a little bit of oil, put a little small cross on your forehead, and we say, okay, let's anoint this person. You know how anointing was in the, in the Bible? They take a whole big flask full of oil and they'll pour it on the priest right you see it in psalm 133 as the psalmist talks about the anointing that's falling on aaron oh. fell on his head trickled down his beard began to stain his entire nice little gucci shirt <laughs> anointing is messy anointed ones are messy people. God's ministry is a messy thing. The church is a messy place. Are we still here? 
Let me take you to a story which is part of our um, series this, these last few months in the book of Acts. I want to look at Stephen's story very quickly this morning. Right? Stephen was a messy Christian. By that I mean he was anointed. Right? So being an anointed one, he sure got a little bit messy. Right? It's in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. But I'm just going to quickly run through the story of Stephen. Right? He was appointed and anointed as a deacon. And so he begins his ministry. In verse 8 of chapter 6, it says, He was full of God's grace and power and performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. You see, he walked around on Monday morning and he saw people who were sick. He saw people who were uh, demon-possessed. He saw people who were struggling. He prayed for them. The anointing flowed from him and his mess passed on to their mess and God healed them. All right? So he was operating in such an amazing way that miracles were being performed. In fact, the Bible says amazing miracles were being performed and signs were being done among the people. So as soon as that started happening, the religious leaders confronted him, right? And they begin to address this issue of who gives you the right to do these kind of things, right? How can you, how can you start being messy and speak about God, right? And the Bible says in verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So he spoke with great wisdom. The other thing we see about him is, he stood out in a godly way. You wanna know how he stood out? He's standing there, they're all listening to him. Verse 15 of chapter six says, all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him. They saw his face as the face of an angel. He was glowing. Sometimes Christians go out into the world and they look weird. They talk weird. This guy wasn't weird. They saw him and they saw the glow of Christ coming through him. Remember Moses when he came out of the tabernacle? He said he was glowing. This guy was so in the presence of God. He was glowing as if it was the face of an angel. All this is going on, right? And these, these guys who are supposed to be godly people are listening, they're watching, they're seeing this anointed one who's speaking to them. And then this is what he's, this is the message he started doing. He began to challenge religion. He began to challenge their religious ideas. Now when you start doing that, that's when it gets messy. Right? And so he's challenged the established religion. In verse 51 of chapter 7, he said, You stubborn people. Ooh, not a good sermon. Right? I will not call you stubborn people. Thank God Stephen's not pastoring you. You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart. Now, take note of what he's saying. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. You see, they were not heathen outwardly. In fact, they were godly outwardly. Everybody saw them as godly people. They were godly outwardly, but Stephen is looking at their heart and he's saying, you are a heathen in your heart. And you are deaf to the truth. 
And then of course we know that he was stoned to death. And this is the verse for that. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But this is a beautiful sentence. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He died what he lived for, and he lived for what he died. He loved them. That's why he spoke like that. He wanted them to experience the God he was experiencing. He wanted them to come out of the box that they had put themselves in and put the God they love in. And that's why he spoke what he spoke. See, religion comes packed in a neat package. But anointing will create a mess. You want religion? It's going to be neat and tidy. You want anointing? It's going to get messy. I choose anointing. I choose that this church will be full of anointed ones. I choose that this church will become messy and more messy. You know, let's be messy. Let's let messy people come into this church. That's what it's for. If they are perfect and they do not need perfection and transformation, this is not the place for them. But if they are messy, if they are broken, if they are in need of God and God's help, then this is the place. Let them come as they are. Let them come messy because this is a messy church. What does it look like if we start taking God outside our box? What does it look like, a relationship right, with God outside the box? Let's look at 2 Timothy as I bring this message to a close this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we read verse 5 to 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 5 to 7. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So what does a relationship with God outside the box look like? It looks like this, my friends. Firstly, it's without hypocrisy. Paul used the word genuine faith when he described Timothy's faith. The word genuine there means without hypocrisy. It means sincere. It means without pretense. It requires us to remove our masks. And it requires us to accept everyone without their masks. Now, put on your mask for COVID. But take out your mask that's hiding the real you. Come in here. Come in as you are. Let everyone who comes in, let them come in as they are. Let's remove hypocrisy in the way we relate to one another. That's living with God outside the box. The other thing we see is this relationship with God outside the box, it's very infectious. 
when he talks about this genuine faith that Timothy had, he said it started with your grandmother. And then she was so living this genuine faith, it infected her daughter. And her daughter got infected with this genuine faith and it infected you, her son. Can you imagine three generations infecting one another with this genuine faith, living with God outside the box? You and I start living with God outside the box. Take religion out of the way we live our lives and see how infectious we get. Can you imagine the church out there in the community on Monday morning living genuine faith without hypocrisy, being who we are, as broken as we are, and leaning on God? It gets infectious. The third thing we see in Paul's description, someone who's living outside the box is always wanting more of God. Right? It says here, that Paul, Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gifts of God in you. That word stir up is rekindle the flame. Get a flame again. Keep, keep that flame burning. Because fire tends to die if you don't tend it. If you're living outside the box, you cannot live without stirring it up and say, God, I want more. Yesterday's experience is not enough for me. Last week's experience has gone cold. I want an experience today. I want an experience right now. When you go to the scriptures, don't just remember what God spoke to you last year. What is the scripture saying to you now? What are you saying to me today, Lord? I know how you spoke to me last year when I read the scripture. But today... What are you saying to me? And Lord, as you say to me today, how can I take this down and go out on my Monday service and go out there and serve you with this promise that you've given me? You stir it up. You stir up your flame. You stir up the fire in you. You stir up this genuine relationship that you have with God. That's what it means to live outside the box. Finally, Living outside the box means you live life not governed by fear, but governed by the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You are not governed by fear. You know what causes great fear for Christians? Religion. You're so afraid. What if I do it wrong? Which father looks at a child, happy Father's Day, which father looks at a child that little child, all right, and says to that little child, no, you're doing it wrong, you two-year-old. Well, I don't think any of, the, of us would do that. You know, you might smile, seeing that child trying his level best to be like daddy. Mm. You will smile because he's trying to talk like daddy. You will smile because he's trying to wash the car like daddy. Unfortunately, he's using a rough... Um, scrub, iron scrubbing, you know. But I tell you what, religion says, do it right or else. But God says, do it right and I'll help you do it. It's time to live outside the box, man. Put away the spirit of fear. Just do it and let God show you how it's done. Let him work with you. But just do it. Just step out of the box and do it. And so this beautiful 
threefold anointing that Paul talks about. Spirit of power, spirit of love, and spirit of sound mind. That spirit of power, that Greek word dunamis, supernatural, miraculous power. When you leave your home tomorrow morning, know this, you are full of the spirit of power. Imagine what it looked like if you asked the Holy Spirit to help you in that sail pitch on Monday morning. If you asked the Holy Spirit to help you deal with the difficult client on Tuesday afternoon. If you ask the Holy Spirit to help you through on Wednesday when you're trying to put things together and make it home for dinner. Dunamis power is available for you to live your daily life. That's how you govern your life. That's how you live outside the box. That everything you do from Monday morning right through to Sunday when we meet again, that everything you do is powered and fueled by the spirit of power. The spirit of power also with the spirit of love. The Greek word agape again. Unconditional, selfless love. The giving of yourself to others by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of power, spirit of love, spirit of sound mind. Sound judgment with self-discipline. That's what life looks like outside the box, my friends. When God is let out of the box that you put him in, this is what it's going to look like. You live your life without hypocrisy. You become very infectious. You're always wanting more of God and you're never satisfied with status quo. You're not fearful of new adventures with God. You live daily under this messy anointing full of power, full of love, full of sound mind. So remember this. If God can be completely defined, then we are no longer talking about God. Religion's, religion comes with, comes packed in a neat package. Anointing will create a mess. Don't be satisfied with a paper bag full of God, my friends. Live with God, but live with Him outside the box. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. For more resources, or if you would like to support this ministry, visit us at activefaith.org.nz.